HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. The following program is brought to you by Susty Party, an online party supply store for eco-friendly party products and biodegradable compostable tableware. For more information, visit SustyParty.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org for thousands more. It's Thursday, and once again, you've tuned in to the Heritage Radio Network. You're listening to The Farm Report. I'm your host, Erin Fairbanks, and we are in studio with Diane Morgan, author of Roots, The Definitive Compendium. Welcome to the studio. Well, terrific to be here. Uh, it's great to have you. So this is an, a new book, um, one of many. You're quite an accomplished author, and we're, we're really happy to have you here in Bushwick. And I thought we'd just jump right in by kind of defining what we'll be talking about for the next half hour, which is roots. I mean, what what is a root? How did you kind of come to understand it through the process of writing this book? Well, let me share a little story about how the book came about. So I live in Portland, Oregon. I am shop at the Portland Farmer's Market almost every weekend when I'm in town. And I, it was two weeks before Thanksgiving, and three years ago, and this, I was buying celery root, and and this woman stopped me. I had market bags that I'd set down. I had two celery roots in my hand, and I was picking up a third. And she said, "What is that?" And I said, "Oh, it's celery root." She goes, "Wow, it's kind of ugly. What do you do with it?" And I said, "Oh no, it's like one of the least ugly of all the roots." And so she, um, I proceeded to tell her that. You could eat it raw, you could eat it cooked, um, and all these different ways that you could prepare it. And so I bought mine. She didn't buy it. I walked on, and two stalls up, I stop, and I pick up this long stick-like root. And I turn to the farmer, and I said, what is that? And he goes, oh, that's burdock root. And I said, really? What do you do with it? And and um, he proceeded to tell me different ways to prepare it and, and whatnot, and so I'm walking back to my car, and I'm thinking, wow, this woman doesn't know celery root. I don't know burdock root, and I'm a food professional. I've been in this food world for over 25 years. And I thought, so what's this world of roots? And I went home, and I have a really extensive cookbook collection, and and I'm going through my books, and I have encyclopedic books on vegetables that really don't have recipes, or maybe one to two recipes for, for that vegetable. 
Um, and then I have all these books, and I it just took a boatload of books to just assemble all the roots. So I started researching it and realized that actually the book I wanted to own, that I needed to write it in order to, to put this all together. Yeah, so you've really created this kind of comprehensive reference um, for anyone who's kind of interested in learning a little bit more about not only what roots are and where they come from and how they're used, but you have a whole collection of, what, 225 different recipes. Right. So really arming us with a little bit of, uh, with, with well, a lot, really, of root info. So, you know, um, it's interesting, in the early part of the book, you talk about all the different parts of plants that we eat. You know, there, you have this long list, flowers, seeds, leaves, leaf shoots, uh, stems, swollen stems, stems of leaves, uh, whole plants, sprouts, tubers, bulbs, legumes, and the fruits. And, you know, your book here is about roots. So, I mean, what is, you know, for a plant, what is kind of the function of the root? And how did you kind of define what you would or wouldn't include in the book? Well, so the, the family of root vegetables, I mean, it is the underground um, storage system for the plant and these these plants from their wild species have been cultivated for um, the root itself so we think of something like um, carrots and carrots are original to Afghanistan and they were these multi-branched roots and they were actually purple um, initially so they were cultivated over time um, to be orange because that was the favorite color. This happened in the Netherlands. So it's kind of a curious beginning, um, but they weren't well-liked as um, as purple, even though now we have all these heritage carrots that have come back, and we see purple ones in the in the farmer's markets and in our CSA boxes. So, so th- that plant was grown for the root itself, and the nutrition is in the root, the underground part. And while carrot tops are edible... They're and quite delicious. They're not grown for that. That's, that's sort of almost the byproduct of it. And um, and yet we think of something more obscure as um, cilantro or coriander. And the root itself is edible, um, but it's been cultivated for the the stems and the leaves. And but in Thai and Southeast Asian cooking they chop up those little roots and use them. So it's really what part of the plant has been cultivated. So you're kind of having the difference between something that's been turned into like a root crop versus something that's performing like the root function for a plant that you're going to end up harvesting some other aspect of. Right, exactly. And you didn't include anything from the allium family, you know, onions or... And can you talk a little bit about, like, why you well, made that choice? Well, it was, it was really um, a size limitation on the book. The book runs almost 450 pages as it is. And I knew that um, my editor was panicking at, at the size. Um, and so there's 28 individual roots in the book. And I, in order to include the allium family, so we think of onions and shallots and garlic, and I... I would have had to cut the number of recipes per root, and that would have been disappointing to me because I wanted to give this whole variety and exploit the goodness of each root. So I'm saving that for another project if that happens. Yeah, right. I, I think also probably there's a pretty, uh, there's less mystery shrouded around an onion or a shallot or 
or, or whatnot. So you talk about in the book, you know, you, true roots, tuberous roots, modified plant stems, corms, and stem tubers. So I'm assuming those are all kind of slightly different versions of the same thing, or can you... Well, what, what the, is, you know, roots has this broad um, category of what falls into that. And so... Um, all roots are underground plants, whether they're grown in the soil or in some cases in water, like we think of lotus root or water chestnuts. So, um, but they have different characteristics. So you have tap roots, something that are like carrots or celery root or beets. Um, um, tuberous roots, um, the yucca is one of those, um, and it's really how they're, what the characteristics of how they're grown. I always think of, um, when we think of stem tubers, and this is, which is sort of starts getting esoteric in terms of actually how they grow, but I think the easiest way to think of some of these is um, potatoes fall into the category of a stem tuber. And we think about, at least in grade school, I know I had to take a potato and I cut it and um, I stuck toothpicks in it, and, and half of it was submerged in water, and the other half um, was was above the water, and you let it grow. And what grew were these tenderly roots underneath, and then um, um, leaves up above. And so that's you're actually watching. They have you're watching how the plant is propagating, and 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 that's a great example of it. Um, or we think of. Um, I w- I met a um, at one of my book signings. I met this woman, and she said that she takes um, potatoes that have started to sprout, and she just sticks them in a bucket, and they're growing. They're you know you're getting plants off the sprouting parts of the of the of the root, and so that's how that particular one's propagating. And so um, it's just different ways that they're propagating. We think of rhizomes as something like wasabi or ginger, um, turmeric, um, and um, corms, which are water chestnuts, are the, probably the most familiar. It almost looks like a bulb. And, and so um, that, and that a corm differentiates from um, a bulb in that if you cut a corm in, in half, it's a solid... Um, meat inside whereas whereas a a a bulb has layers it has the sheaths so you know they all just have these technical botanical descriptions and i did have to sort of had to do part botany to figure out this book yeah and that sounds like you're kind of tucking into a lot of different and interesting (laughs) and probably unexpected learning throughout the process Mm -hmm. Um, well, one of the things, you know, we are uh, on the farm report, and I was wondering if maybe you could talk a little bit about, you know, how uh, you think roots and root crops, you know, make their way into food production, either for, uh, you know, farmer who is growing for a market or something more broadly, or, um, you know, a home gardener, like why they might put roots in the mix. And, and if you've noticed from the reading you've done that they play a bigger or smaller role in different um different avenues well and we think of something like you know cold these are cold weather crops um for the most part so so like oftentimes radishes can be um planted 
before um, the first thaw so that in the spring you have these lovely little roots coming up and, and these beautiful bushy tops. Um, carrots the same, whereas parsnips are planted later because you want to harvest them after the first frost so that they the sugars are concentrated. And something like rutabagas and turnips, um, those are winter garden crops and they can stay in the ground a long time. They can, they can be beneath a frozen crusted soil and be perfectly fine and and so you know they're they're beautiful storage crops which is how we got our ancestors through the winters and we think about these root cellars they dug in in certain areas of the country um and that's how they fed themselves so it's really the cycle of of the seasons and roots represent really the the wintertime season well, that was one of the what I thought was one of the more interesting sections of the book for me personally was you you went into some detail about um, you know how to properly store roots and I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about you know how how roots should be stored properly temperature and moisture and um, you know what what we should be thinking about in the storage process. Well, there's I mean a true root cellar is this dugout below ground dirt area that um, and and people layered um, whether with hay or or um, different materials to create a refrigerated um, storage place for the roots but but obviously not allowing them to freeze um, and so you know now with refrigeration a, a home cook can just put these things in the refrigerator and they actually keep quite a while. I mean, I, I have rutabagas and turnips in my refrigerator drawer for weeks and they're perfectly fine. Um, and so it's really just a matter of, of regulating a temperature, whether it's your basement or whether it's actually a dugout root cellar. In Portland, the water table is actually too high to have a root cellar. So, I mean, we think of them as more of a Midwest, um, upper Northeast um, um, just that was there. Um, yeah, there was like was a their, need for it and ability. Right. I mean, right. It, it's like kind of one of the interesting things about you know the modern world we live in is like most places, especially an urban environment like New York City, where we are, there's not kind of the space or the real need to to really explore these storage techniques. But I think it is something that, you know, talking with farmers, you hear a lot about having, having for them in particular in the Northeast, storage space for these, the winter root crops so that they can have something to bring to the market week after week. And um, we, I think we're going to take just a short break. And when we come back, I would love to kind of go through and talk about um, some, some roots you listed in the book that I'm curious about learning more. Absolutely. You're listening to I Get By by Dead Stars on the Heritage Radio Network.org.
Dubois. And I'm Jessica Holsey. We are the entrepreneurs behind Susty Party. Susty Party creates responsibly made, eco-friendly party supplies and compostable tableware. Parties and events generate the second largest amount of waste in the USA, just behind the construction industry. Susty Party products make parties more sustainable and sustainability a little more fun. Susty Party plates, bowls, and straws are available in Whole Foods retail stores and also at SustyParty.com. We offer a curated selection of other Susty-approved party supplies. We also have a commercial division, Sustyware, that sells compostable tableware in bulk to businesses and food service industry establishments. Susty Party is a certified youth trade company and B Corporation. Our social, economic, environmental, and even spiritual values drive Susty Party to live our motto, Respect Earth and Party On! All right, we're back. You've tuned in to the Heritage Radio Network. You're listening to The Farm Report. I'm your host, Erin Fairbanks, and we are in studio with Diane Morgan talking roots. Um, before the break, Diane, we were talking a little bit about kind of what is a root and, and your process coming to write this real comprehensive kind of reference tool for people interested in exploring roots. And so I thought we'd spend the second half of the show talking a little bit more specifically about a couple of roots, and and I want to start with one that um, haunted my childhood, uh, rutabagas, which my mother would um, sneak into our pot of uh, boiled potatoes, um, and I always found them kind of gross growing up, but I do love them now. But one of the things we were just chatting about in the break and that I never really totally got was why rutabagas have that kind of weird waxy outer coating. Like, what what is that about? Well, if you see if you see rutabagas at a in a CSA box or at a farmers market, they're not likely to have that. But um, but they but if if they're being shipped, there's there's quite a few roots that sort of dry out and they start losing their moisture as as you know they're pulled above ground and and harvested, and so they're often have this waxy coating just to hold the moisture. So jicama is a really good example of of um, uh, more of a tropical root, but it 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 that protection um, keeps it from drying out and shriveling. Um, and rutabagas that's sometimes done to that. And so um, and it you know you're going to peel the skin anyway, so it doesn't really matter doesn't that really that's matter. on there. Yeah. So it's just like I was thought that was like another thing that grossed me out about rutabagas growing up but i'm over it i'm a mature adult rutabaga eater um you know some of the other roots that you uh pointed out uh, that you cover in the book i think are things that don't kind of often come to mind and one of them in particular is wasabi you know i think where most people are probably used to seeing with wasabi as kind of a little you know green kind of clay-like material on their sushi plate but maybe you can tell us a little bit more about what wasabi actually is and, and where it comes from and, and give us some details about that well so wasabi is um it's a rhizome um and um it's original to um japan and it uh no unfortunately the little like putty like glob that we see on a sushi plate is really powdered horseradish root that has been and sometimes there's some mustard added to it some dry mustard um that's been colored green and so it gets rehydrated with some water and formed into that paste but it's not true wasabi so actually if you buy fresh wasabi root which um 
it's it's appearing more and more. It's expensive, um, but and it's actually grown in Oregon. It's grown along the um, in Tillamook. There's a, a hydroponic farmer growing it, and it's really exciting. And I, um, they brought it to this sort of farm collective, and and they had them in these tall clear bottles with a couple of rocks at the bottom and here's the root submerged in water with the, the leafy green tops and um, and there's a actually in Japanese cooking there's a little paddle that's covered in shark skin and that's the true way that you grate wasabi you take off the little black nodules and you you do a circular um, rotation to to grate the root and and then it brings out all the really bright flavors so it's a great root to have an opportunity to try. And do you know, I mean, is it a, I've never seen it anywhere here. I mean, one of the other lists, roots that you have on your list that I remember kind of exploring as a, as a young cook in New York City was the Galangal, um, which I know you could go up uh, over to Little India and get like a, a chunk of Galangal root, you know, frozen in, in, the, in the freezer section of, of shops up there. But I always felt like I was kind of missing out uh, on the experience of the fresh, the fresh root, and I would assume maybe wasabi would be similar, probably kind of typical yeah, to and, get. And what happens when it gets frozen? Um, it sort of just softens, so it's much harder to grate. I mean, it almost gets a little sort of mushy, and you grate it, and it's sort of watery. Um, it is going to be one of the more esoteric ones. I think a really large. Um, Asian market that's really probably catering to a Japanese population would have it, especially I mean, I can buy it in Portland um, I think it's going to certainly be more available on the coast than it is um, or in large metropolitan areas um, but it was really important to me to cover all roots in the book so I have these ones, something like wasabi galangal, along with the more common ones like ginger root rutabagas, turnips carrots, um, beets um, because the book's about all of them. And so um, for those who um, have a desire to do ethnic cooking, the roots are there. For those who are picking up the book because they are out of a, a particular ethnic heritage in which these roots are really common, like yucca or malanga, um, they're going to find these really interesting ways to prepare it along with some of the traditional ways to prepare it. But I think for all of us, we shop in ethnic markets, we eat in ethnic restaurants, and we eat these things, and yet we don't really know what they are. So, you know, every chapter has um, a full um, uh, photograph of the root itself. So you could go into a Hispanic market and pick up one of these roots and go, you know, oh, whoa, what is this thing? And, and look and say, oh, that's Malanga. What about, I mean, with regards to nutritional content, um, you know, I know in, today it seems like potatoes or root vegetables kind of get, get a bad rap, but um, historically that's definitely not been the case, and I think in most parts of the world isn't either. Oh, absolutely. I mean, potatoes are actually incredibly nutritious. They have as, as much potassium as a banana. Um, they're low-calorie. It's just all the things we do to them. You know, it, it became the stuffed potatoes with, you know, the the cheese and the sour cream and the butter, and, and, and that's what gives them a bad rap it's actually a, a perfectly fine diet food it's just how it's you know it, it's what you do with it um and uh sweet potatoes are um 
at the top of the list. The the dark ones that are high in beta carotene are at the top of the list of all vegetables for nutrition. And so, we, and we think of of beets and carrots. I mean, these are all like just solidly packed with with um, nutrition and 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 great to eat. And you know, in many cases, can be eaten raw. Um, you know, beets are perfect that way. You eat them raw. You eat them cooked. Um, one of the one of the roots that kind of haunted my uh, my years as a young cook was the crone um, because they're so tiny and such a pain to um, clean. And I wonder if you can tell us a little bit. I was curious, like what they, you know, how they're grown. Like, what do they look like when you harvest them? Well, I actually, it's the one root in the book. Um, so, as I said, I live in Oregon, and. What was interesting is 19 of the 28 roots in the book are grown in Oregon, which I didn't know until I was asked that and counted them up. Um, But I had to have a farmer grow those for me. I originally saw them um, in California, and they're they're common in France. I was over there in wintertime three years ago, and sure enough, in the market next to the bin of potatoes and onions was a bin of crones. And, And so... For those who don't know what they look like, you know, in the best description, I would say they look like tiny little Michelin men, and in the worst description, they look like grubs. But um, yes, that is exactly. Exa- <laughs> I always thought the Michelin man thing, or like the stuffed puff marshmallow man, are just like, you know, they they look like kind of weird, chubby little people, <laughs> but right. tiny, tiny. Right. So they're they're crunchy and nutty, like. Um, like a water chestnut would be. Um, I I love the flavor. I love the look of them. Um, and um, the the book was photographed in New York, so I didn't have to ship those um, to the the photographer. So they they're available here, um, but they're they have these little um, like threads almost on either end of 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 the root itself, and so. Those have to be sniffed off, and and what I do the easiest way, and a French chef in Portland showed me how to to prep them, is you rinse them in water to get off sort of the most of the dirt, and then you put them on a a, a flour sack towel with some kosher salt and or coarse sea salt, and you just rub them, and that without taking all the skin off, it abrades the and gets the rest of the little dirt that's in those little crevices and and then you parboil them and they're ready to go and we are just about out of time but i was hoping that maybe you could share you know a favorite recipe or two that makes to your dinner table frequently well um let's see i'm i'm a huge fan of celery root and so and it can be it can be served raw um as as well as cooked so a classic Salad is the celery remoulade, which is it's matchstick cut celery root um, that's tossed with a mustardy mayonnaise dressing. I also did a variation on that in the book and cut the celery matchstick and added in sort of a play on celery and using the root and the stalks, um, thin slices of celery, celery leaves, and flat leaf parsley in a and a little wine vinegar dressing. Um, and so it's just a nice play on it. You know, I'm. I don't. I don't have a favorite root that jumps out over all of them. I'm. I'm. I love them. Um, beets, parsnips. They're all just terrific, and they have. 
they have a savory side, of course, and some of them have a sweet side. So just pick up the book and explore. Uh, again, that's Root, the Definitive Compendium by Diane Morgan, available wherever fine books are sold. Um, thanks again for tuning in. This has been another episode of The Farm Report. Uh, as always, if you missed us live, you can find all of our programs archived on the website, www.heritageradionetwork.org. We're also available as a free podcast through iTunes or Stitcher Smart Radio. And we are a 501c3 nonprofit uh, organization that depends on the support of our members to keep pr- programming going. And if you like what you hear, I hope you'll consider making a donation today. Thank you so much. Stay tuned next week when we'll bring you another episode of The Farm Report. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. What's hot at the green market? You're about to find out now. It's the Grow NYC Market Update. All right, you have tuned in to the Grow NYC Market Update, and we are on the line with Liz Carollo from uh, New York City's Green Markets. Liz, give us the scoop. It's getting chilly out there. What's happening at the markets? Hey, Erin, it sure is. Um, yeah, it's a really busy time of year, and, you know, uh, everyone wants some sweets for their homes or to take to parties. There's no always time to pick up that rolling pin. So our Green Market bakers are really busy in their bakeries, cranking out the goods. We have all the um, holiday baked goods you could want. Stolen, Linzer honey cookies, gingerbread houses and cookies, panettone, um, and of course a variety of crumbles and pies and tarts. So if you're missing those summer berries and fruits, you can kind of um, get it that way because they still carry those. And uh, for Hanukkah, we have about a gazillion types of potatoes available at the market, including pink and purple ones for latkes. Um, so we have creme fraiche and apples for making your own homemade applesauce, which takes about 10 minutes, and it easily transforms this not super exciting topping into a showstopper. The taste difference between store-bought and homemade applesauce is certainly worth that 10 minutes spent cooking down the apples. I can't say enough about it. So Lovely. Great. Lovely. Um, well, what else is happening? I, you know, I, I heard something about a green market soup. Yeah, we have partnered with Hale and Hardy Soup um, during the week of December 10th through the 16th, so starting next Monday until the following Sunday. Um, that lunchtime chain restaurant everybody knows is throughout New York City. They're going to be selling Immer Soup, and the recipe is, was developed by um, Mike Anthony at Gramercy Tavern, the chef there. And um, Immer, which is known to Italians as Faro, is a regionally grown grain from Green Market. Um, the producer, Cayuga Pure Organics, they're up in the Finger Lakes region, and it's being delivered um, by Green Market's Wholesale Wing Green Market Co. So it's cold out there, and some Immer soup will do just the trick to warm you up. 
Awesome. I actually had a chance to taste uh, the soup earlier this year. It's quite delicious. And I was really thrilled to learn that Helen Hardy does uh, all of their soups from scratch. They introduce like 40 different soups a year. So it's great to see some green market products making their way in there. Hopefully we'll see more of that in the years to come. Wonderful. Yeah. Um, what I mean, I know there's lots of other stuff going on holiday-wise and some producers that are at the market year-round. Is there anyone in particular we should be looking out for? Yeah, and I think most of our customers know them, but Ronnie Brook Dairy Farm, uh, they attend many of our markets. They're a multi-generational dairy farm. They raise Holsteins. They have 650 acres in Columbia County. Um, and, you know, they sell their glass-bottled milk and cream, fresh cheeses, creme fraiche, butter. I think a lot of people and their kids know the yogurt drinks. But what I want to highlight today is their eggnog. Um, they only carry this product for the holiday season, so you can't delay. you got to get out and get it. And their, their dairy products are special because they pasteurize at the lowest temperature possible, which makes it so they don't have the longest shelf life, not as long as what's available at the store, but, and they don't homogenize their milk, but it allows them to retain all that beneficial bacteria and enzymes, and most importantly, the really great, rich flavor that you just can't find outside of the market. So, um, yeah, I would say get out there and get that eggnog. No need to make it at home. Um, and then I want to reiterate what Jean said last week about Christmas trees. They're available at a number of markets. And if you don't want to commit to something that big that you have to maintain for the next month or so, they can always get really great smelling wreaths and garland, and it's, it's super beautiful. So um, some of that, too. Man, I feel like the green market like has my holiday needs covered. Um, and then you can also do a little bit of gift shopping this year, right? Yes, we have a merch store for the first time ever. Uh, it'll be open in Union Square Saturdays for the next three weeks, and all kinds of market-inspired presents like green market sweatshirts, note cards, um, designed by one of our graphic designers, Claudia Pearson, baby bibs, kitchenware, that kind of fun stuff, and other gifty-type items that are available at individual farm stands like maple syrup, maple candy, honey and beeswax, jams, chutneys, wool, um, all those things. I even brought my brother home a two-pound Wilclo Farms ham at Thanksgiving, and he called a couple days ago to remind me I'm his favorite sister. So a good market gift goes a really long way. Kudos. Way to be a standout. (laughs) (laughs) I got to show up my other sisters. (laughs) Um, Well, okay. Well, to wrap up, what about event stuff? You guys still have things going on uh, throughout the winter? We sure do. We have a, we are having a sold out event tonight at Jimmy's in the back room. It's a mission driven distribution education, uh, educated eater panel series, Um, free and open to the public, but I think we're filled up. But uh, by all means, if anybody wants to go by Jimmy's and grab a beer and just see if there's going to be a spot available, they're more than welcome. And also, our director, Michael Hurwitz, will be judging the Lotka party that's hosted by uh, BAM, and, or it's hosted at BAM by Great Performances and Edible Brooklyn. Um, some chefs, are, chefs, you know, more popular chefs in the city are going to face off and make some um, Lotkas, and he'll be there judging. So that's December 10th at 6.30, so next uh, Monday. Awesome. Liz, thanks yeah. so much. Uh, good luck to Michael eating all those latkes. I mean, that's no small feat. <laughs> He's been prepping. <laughs> so if you want to uh, stay in touch and find out more about what's happening with Grow NYC, you can visit their website, www.grownyc.org. Uh, get more info on cooking demos, book signings, giveaways, and, and the what's what of all the neighborhood green markets. Uh, volunteer opportunities, and if you want to stay in the know in real time, follow them on Twitter. And of course, tune in next week for another episode of the Grow NYC Green Market Update. Thanks, Sarah.
Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes Store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. <laughs>